0: And now we have a letter that goes between chapter 13 and chapter 14. It's kind of an aside. It takes us into the future and into the past and into the present. Here we go. Apologies are in order. You start talking or typing and before you know it, you're time traveling. All these pages in from the introduction and suddenly I turn up in my present state, much older. To add a few more facts, to my Hollywood fiction. I've lived here so long, sometimes it's hard to tell one from the other. Wait, that's not exactly candid. It's not the sunny location of the dream factory that gets in the way of clarity. It's something else entirely. As you age, especially if you're in the midst of writing a memoir, you get extremely tired of your own point of view. You take liberties trying to figure out what other people were and are thinking. You crave some voice that's not your own to break through and give some fresh insight. I know my memories of the riots come through a very rarefied filter and are removed. Even Cooper, who raced to document the unrest, did it with the detachment of a photojournalist and then thought better of it. What I remember clearly was being stuck to the TV news. I remember it was the first time my predecessor at the studio, Bob Brown, came to my house. I remember I could tell Cooper was lying to me on the phone that night. That night I called to check in on him. When he reappeared on Crescent Drive after the riots were quelled, there was a gauze bandage wrapped around his forehead. He lifted it to reveal 20 stitches above his eyebrow. He handed me several canisters of undeveloped film and said, Would you take these, Billy?" All I could think of was Patience's voice the night the riots started. Was she in shock? Maybe she was checked out. Or was it possible she just didn't care? I know I should have said something, but I stood there, struggling to come up with the right words. Cooper ran a hand over his emergency room buzz cut. I'm going to be a dad. You told me to be careful. Sometime maybe you'll get these developed. I I might have gotten some good shots. You hold on to those, okay? I did. I had the film developed and never had the stomach to look at the contact sheets, thinking the images had some kind of power like a talisman etched in stone a very long time ago. I locked the mayhem of that night in a safety deposit box and gave Cooper the key. Shep, on the other hand, wasn't as close to the violence as Cooper, but his experience was more visceral than mine. When I asked him about it recently, he sent me a letter from location. A letter, not an email. Fantastically, wonderfully old school. I love that. And as you read on in the book, you will fully understand why I find that so remarkable in this electronic age. For now, this will suffice. Dear Billy, you asked me to help you remember. So we come to our very small story, which in the face of the death and damage and destruction of the riots is going to appear morbidly upbeat. But as you might have gleaned, upbeat is my default position and one I always tries to share with you. At the end of April in 1992, my friend, Heidi, you've met her, she's a physicist, was moving into her ground-floor apartment in a French Normandy fourplex off Wilshire between Hancock Park and Beverly Hills, just a few blocks from LACMA. I should have been studying for finals, but I was much more interested in shoving furniture around. We had been doing that all morning to beautiful effect, I might add, and taking a break, we walked down the street with a turn here and there to refuel at our favorite spot, Café Latte, which happened to be a good restaurant located in a mini mall on the otherwise majestic boulevard, your old favorite, Wilshire. Strangely, the boulevard was deserted. We turned our heads to see a low slung four door sedan like an old Crown Vic full of young men drive, driving slowly past Beverly Hills. No, they weren't going past it, they were going toward it. I'm sorry. And then another, but this one was more arresting. Men were hanging out all the car windows. One was brandishing a gun. We were the only pedestrians I could see. I remember Heidi planting her feet and saying something about wanting to see. And I remember taking her by the arm and dragging her off Wilshire saying we were going home. And by that, I mean my home up in the Hollywood Hills. Apparently, I I was not alone in my assessment of the situation. At the same time I was pulling Heidi off of Wilshire, Mayor Bradley was closing down the city. A drive that should have taken 15 minutes tops took nearly an hour. The streets were bumper to bumper, but everyone was patient. Nobody beeped. People were good about letting other cars into their lane. When we arrived at the house in Beechwood Canyon, Tom, you remember, not my most enduring relationship, had been sent home from Warner Brothers, He had been arguing with the studio to let him finish the day. Typical. Anyway, then the phone began to ring, and shortly after, three more of our single female friends arrived with pajamas and toothbrushes, and I began to call our roost in the hills a home for wayward women. Bill... The manager of the Beechwood Market kept the store open for the neighborhood that first day, and we stocked up on cookie fixings and chickens to roast, and we checked in with the rest of the canyon denizens before we all retreated to closed doors as curfew fell. You know how Los Angeles has a lot of ambient noise at night? What we heard as darkness warned were predominantly helicopters and sirens. Inside, we congregated in the living room, eating chocolate chip cookies, trading stories, watching South Central burn on the news, hoping it wouldn't reach Hollywood Boulevard. At one point, we climbed up a conveniently placed tree onto our flat roof and watched the plumes of smoke rising from downtown. And then we smelled smoke and saw Hollywood Boulevard was burning. That's the gist of it, remember? After it was all over, I called you to help sweep smashed glass off a Hollywood Boulevard. We had a very fortunate experience, you and I, out of harm's way. People died. They died, and I don't know how many were injured, at least a couple of thousand. But we just huddled together and closed our front doors. Well, not quite everyone was out of harm's way. Cooper had his head cut open. I think the only people who knew about the genesis of his scar, Patience and I, never divulged. He certainly didn't. On my desk is a pile of research. At the moment, I'm looking at an old menu from a restaurant called the Brown Derby. On its cover is an imaginary map of Los Angeles with Hollywood at its center. It's scattered with cartoon depictions of movie cameras, musical notes winging out of Hollywood Bowl, crooners broadcasting from NBC radio studios, and roadsters zipping down Franklin Avenue. At any rate, it's an extremely impressionistic guide to Los Angeles. This vast city, really a collection of towns, tends to be represented in its spatial relationship to Hollywood. Please note, the map is not to scale. It highlights the locations, there were several, of a once legendary and now gone restaurant. As I said, it was called the Brown Derby, a nexus of dream factory drones and queen bees, so to speak. USC, Mid-City, Lamere Park, Koreatown, and South Central lie well beyond its margins. I will add Sometimes a map is a map, and other times it's a state of mind. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the story, please tell a friend.